Welcome to episode 19 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. So let's get started. My first topic is an announcement made by Telefonica Germany. Um, they're partnering with, uh, with, with Ericsson and Amazon Web Services uh, to virtualize their 5G core. And for me, Telefonica continues to be a standout operator in Europe. They're, they're really embracing you know, new technology and the benefits are, are obvious. Um, there's uh, reduced CapEx um, opportunities and there's agility um, opportunities as well. And really the agility centers on um, the rapid ability to deploy um, enterprise services. And that was referenced in the, um, the press release this week. But, um, and it's no secret that uh, AWS has also been very focused on enabling um, edge. And I've written about that in prior Forbes articles with their Wavelink uh, platform. But um, I don't know if you've been following this, Angel, but you know, again, I think Telefonica has really taken a leadership role in Europe because from my perspective, many of the operators there are, you know, they're focused on access and for the most part, deploying sort of traditional infrastructure. Any, any comments or thoughts? Well, I think that if you look at the way European operators are structured and the regulatory, you know, uh, regimes that they operate under, mm -hmm. they are kind of forced to limit their investment um, because there's only so much they can get back in terms of actual customer, um, you know, revenues and ARPUs. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think it's smart of Telefonica. And I mean, the truth is Telefonica has proven time and time again that they're a much more innovative operator than other European operators are. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, you know, they see this as an opportunity to make revenue in a place where it doesn't exist um, and create new opportunities for themselves to, you know, make more money on a network that they, you know, um, are kind of limited in terms of pricing. So, um, you know, European operators can't charge for roaming and there's a bunch of other things they can't do. Yeah. So they, they have to find other sources of revenue. And I think, you know, this is a good opportunity um, for Telefonica to squeeze more, more revenue out of their network. Yeah, I mean, what's impressive to me is that, you know, they're doing sort of two things at once. They're, they're sort of right-sizing um, their investment levels and investing in, you know, software-defined uh, tools to do that. And, um, and then they're, they're creating, you know, new monetization opportunities, right? And 5G inherently is, is more virtualized than LTE. And so, you know, I'm, I'm super impressed that they're, that they're very aggressively embracing it. I'm also super impressed with AWS because they continue to sort of reinvent themselves with respect to telco. And certainly when you look at the big operators and Ericsson's a part of this as well. So um, Ericsson is you know, supplying a lot of the software components. So let's not forget them, but let's also remember that, you know, the, you know, the, the big infrastructure providers like the Ericsson's and the Huawei's and Nokia's of the world, um, you know, they, they've, you know, they've been focused on, you know, delivering telco grade cloud solutions, but obviously with AWS and their leadership as, uh, as the largest, you know, cloud service provider uh, on the planet, um, they're really leaning heavily into telco. And um, I was a part of an analyst, um, you know, um, conference with AWS where we, we were briefed on, you know, what the team is doing from a telco perspective. And I think we've talked about this on a prior podcast. They've really assembled 
a pretty impressive management team from all you know um, parts of the telecommunications industry. So um, I expect you know that you know we'll see more announcements from other operators with AWS in this regard. So let's shift to your first topic this week and. Uh, the IFA conference uh, in Berlin is going on, and you have an update on Qualcomm. Yeah, so unfortunately, I'm not able to attend. Um, it is in Berlin, and it's one of the first uh, tech conferences to happen since COVID hit. Um, and they they obviously have some, uh, you know, they have some some people there in person and some social distancing in place. Um, but the one thing to consider is that you know announcements are still happening, um, and that you know. 5G is not going to stop. So Qualcomm's made, made some pretty big announcements in for 5G at IFA, even though IFA is not really a, you know, a 5G show. Mm -hmm. um, they announced that they uh, are going to have, they're going to bring 5G down to the Snapdragon 400 series. Mm -hmm. um, and I was actually able to ask Qualcomm's uh, president, uh, Cristiano Amon, uh, you know, what, where these uh, 400 series Snapdragon chips might fit in terms of pricing of devices. And he mm -hmm. said they expect prices of those devices to be from 125 to 250. Wow. So we'll have 5G phones as cheap as $125, um, which is a pretty big deal because you know people have been talking about 5G being a you know a premium only technology, but yeah. if it goes all the way down to 125, volumes of, of 5G phones are going to skyrocket mm -hmm. um, starting next year because they're going to have these devices in market starting Q1. So it's going to be a whole year of, you know, four, five, you know, uh, seven, or four, four, six, seven, and, and eight series chips just from Qualcomm, mm -hmm. ignoring, you know, the MediaTek stuff and, and Huawei. Um, so there's lots of opportunities there. And then they also announced the second generation 8CX um, compute platform, um, mm -hmm. which is for PCs, but they announced a new Acer uh, notebook, which is Acer's first 5G notebook. Mm -hmm. um, powered by ATX, and they also announced a big Live Nation partnership where um, they're going to be partnering with Live Nation on delivering 5G to, you know, concerts and venues mm -hmm. yeah. and making the experience better for people who are both at the venue, but also who are watching it remotely. And I think it's a big yeah. deal because, you know, um, bandwidth is a huge problem at every concert I've ever been to mm -hmm. and having 5G and, you know, hopefully millimeter wave will be a massive improvement in the experience. But what, what do you think about tweet. it? Yeah, no, I saw your tweet on that. And the immediate thought I had was, you know, you know, mixed reality experiences. And, and I agree, you know, like when I go to concerts, I probably go to more sporting events than concerts. And it's always frustrating because um, the Wi-Fi usually is pretty lousy and, you know, your, your cell reception is pretty lousy. I'm, I'm lucky. I live in San Diego. So Petco Park, has yeah. more Wi-Fi and cellular APs than I think some cities do. So like right. you can legit live stream from that stadium if you wanted to. It's impressive, yeah, and uh, it it will be exciting, um, you know, to see like what what results and and honestly the monetization opportunities. You know, not that I love giving Ticketmaster that that huge you know, convenience fee they call it, right? But but you know, you talk about you know people at home, um, maybe their concern given COVID is still out there. And, um, you know, I think people would be willing, you know, to pay some amount of money to have some sort of, you know, enhanced, you know, sort of experience. I mean, you could almost, well, you know, you know. It's funny that you say that because I'm wearing my Muse shirt and I yeah, got this yeah. shirt at their concert. If you notice, it's very virtual. So the whole theme was virtual reality. And oh, there was right. a whole virtual reality thing you could do at the event 
before you went to the concert and got your VIP seats. But I I could totally see that being more of a thing that people do as a VIP experience for a show. Yeah. I mean, physically, like when you attend, you know, you, you pay an extra amount of money and you, you get a, an enhanced experience. And then for people that can't come, that don't want to come, you know, they can have a, you know, a, a pretty robust experience at home. So yeah, it's exciting. And, and you know, to your point um, on your tweet, you know, you, you got to lay the pipe in there, right? You, you've got to have, you know, hopefully it's millimeter wave, right? Um, to give you that really, really fast throughput and that really, really low latency for a great experience. So um, and the capacity. Yeah. So it'll be fun to kind of keep our eyes on that one. Um, let's talk about my second topic this week. And, you know, I've talked about this before. Boy, I tell you what, SoftBank was a high flyer, you know, with their portfolio of companies for so long. And then, boy, they hit some bumps in the road. You know, we work that fiasco. OneWeb, you know, they seem to have a lead on the other low orbit satellite, you know, um, service providers. They're in bankruptcy, I think. There are a couple of companies, including Hughes, that's done the traditional, you know, geo-terrestrial, you know, satellite service uh, that are trying to pick it up and revive it. But now this week, there's news that um, the, uh, the the mobile operator business of SoftBank, um, they're they're considering a divestiture, and so uh, it's almost a 20% reduction in their overall stake uh, in, in in that mobile network. And it equates to raising over $12 billion. And it's no secret that their financials are, are in disrepair. Um, does this bode well long-term for SoftBank? Because it seems like, you know, it's just, it's just one fire sale after another. If you remember, um, after the, the T-Mobile and Sprint merger closed, they were left with a stake in the new T-Mobile. And, um, and they looked to, to, to get out of that and divest that as well. So any thoughts on your point? I think... Um the WeWork situation really threw SoftPink for a loop and doubling down. And I think they, they mismanaged that situation and it's the domino that tipped the rest of them. Sure. Um, so I, I don't really know what the situation is going to be for SoftBank uh, moving forward. Um, but I am very worried for them as a company yeah. um, because there's lots of competition in, in cellular networks. Yeah. And telco is not a easy business to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, they will be, I have a fun feeling that if they don't manage their debt well, and they don't, um, you know, resolve some of these issues they've had, uh, then they may become an acquisition target. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, boy, they, I mean, it's, 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 it's sort of depressing to see it. They were such a high flyer for so long and, they had that vision fund, right? And they were, they were investing just, you know, tons and tons of, you know. Uh, I just think research. there were a lot of people who also doubted the value of that. Oh, and right. some of them, like, you know, I, I, there were a lot of people that questioned, you know, their investments, especially mm-hmm. like WeWork. Yeah. Um, but I would say that uh, it, it, it's a tough situation to be in. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, send them, send them positive vibes. So let's jump into your second topic this week, and and you actually want to talk about OneWeb as well, but um, but Starlink too. Yeah. So the the reason why I want to bring up these two companies is because eventually star- satellite is going to become a component of five G. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's I think it's already being mentioned in release sixteen, um, and there's some work being done in release seventeen. So. Low orbit, though, right? It's low orbit satellite. Right? Yeah, 
Um, but the, the truth is, is that they want to, um, you know, integrate more satellite to help with rural. Um, and, you know, the truth is OneWeb and Starlink are both about giving access to the internet. Yeah. So um, I think it's going to be really interesting because SpaceX says uh, in their most recent trials that they were able to get, quote, super low latency and speeds greater than 100 megabits per second. Mm -hmm. um, but they're still not as fast as what SpaceX has originally claimed right. um, for the website. Um, but the thing is, is that they're not stating their latency, which is a huge weakness of satellite. <laughs> um, so what super low latency for what, what may be super low latency for satellite might not actually be super low latency for cellular. So right. um, we'll see what happens. Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, they're still showing things in the 30s, 40s, which uh, is cellular like. Um, but it's not necessarily, you know, ultra low for, for cellular. Like sub five um, millisecond, right? Like, yeah. so sort of the, that's sort of the bar for mobile. Yeah. And this, this is like, this is like 4G LTE kind of latencies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, in addition to that one web, I think just under a week ago or a week ago, didn't make the radar, didn't make the cut for this, this podcast, but um, they had gotten uh, an okay from the FCC to deploy 1,200 more uh, satellites for their constellation, mm -hmm. um, so they're not stopping, um, right. and you know they need those approvals to keep growing and moving, you know, building their network out. Um, so it, I think it's a positive thing. And um, my only concern with these satellite constellations is that some of them might become problematic for stargazing and you know astronomy in general, because um, I've seen some photos where people took photos with the, the star links in the way and they completely ruin the photo. So um, yeah. it's a possibility, um, but it's just something that needs to be talked about. And, you know, all the space trash and space garbage out there too is a yeah. problem as well. Yeah. You know, um, I know you're a stargazer and you're a photographer. Um, you're, you're a lot younger than I am. So you probably don't remember Skylab, but you know, the whole fear of like things falling out of the sky and, you know, crashing into homes and, you know, killing people causing mass hysteria. It does make you think it's like if, if they're launching those number of devices and, and, you know, and with low orbit, it's designed to be very low cost and, and high reuse, which is what SpaceX promises with, you know, with its whole delivery system. Right. Um, I just hope things just don't fall, start falling out of the sky <laughs> if it gets too congested up there. But uh, anyway, it'll be interesting to see how that all uh, kind of unfolds. So let's move to my third topic this week. And, uh, we've talked about the PAL auction. We've talked about CBRS on other podcasts. So the FCC did reveal the winners um, in the 3.5 gigahertz uh, auction. And the top two bidders and top two winners, uh, no surprise, were, were uh, an incumbent operator and a new operator. So uh, Verizon, the, the number there was nearly $2 billion spent on Spectrum. DISH nearly spent a billion and I think there's a, there's a perception out there that obviously, you know, these, these two operators had gaps. You know, we've talked about the layer cake and we've talked about how powerful it is to have that low. I think we mentioned it last week. What's that? I think we mentioned it last week. I think we did. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, we keep talking about T-Mobile, but they, they seem to be on a tear these days. But 
Um, but yeah, so it's it, it's no surprise that, um, that that those were the results. Did you did you follow any of that, or did you analyze the FCC report that was released? Yeah, I kind of I kind of got the same takeaway from it that yeah. I I expected Verizon and Dish to be the two biggest, mm -hmm. um, and I think the biggest concern is whether or not these licenses overlap, um, mm -hmm. and whether or not they're able to get enough continuous spectrum to actually build something with enough bandwidth because mid-band is great yeah. um but the whole point of mid-band is getting a, a large enough continuous block to right. really get that bandwidth to, to customers so you don't have to do seven carrier aggregation you <laughs> right. know right. um so i think you want to you know you want to at least get 20 megahertz blocked at the very least if not more yeah yeah, I didn't. I didn't double click into the into the specific details there, the depth there. But, uh, but there's too many licenses right, right now. To, oh, it's to, mind to actually figure out what's what yet. That might make an interesting podcast in the future for you and I to do some analysis on that and and uh, and come back because there were also a lot of uh, non-operators that participated in one licenses. There were schools, there were municipalities, there were enterprises for. For future private, you know, networking deployment. So um, mm -hmm. it's interesting. You know, I I've called this um, CBRS initiative sort of the democratization of license spectrum. And you know, for the first time, you know, non-operators are are um, are given a shot. Although, you know, the I, I sort biggest of, bidders were all operators. They were, yeah. And you know, and I sort of call it, you know, the, here's the SEC uh, milking the spectrum cow again. And I want to write an article on this because. You know, um, Chairman Pai, you know, points to the success, but I mean, it is the success that the federal government raised another quadruple billions of dollars in spectrum because it, it, it takes a lot of effort and there's a lot of cost to actually deploy these networks once you have the mm -hmm. spectrum. So, and I think, you know, regions like um, Europe and especially in Germany, uh, where the operators are very vocal with, um, the governments that, that manage those auctions to say, hey, there, there should be some sort of caps here um, because when you let these these auctions sort of spiral out of control, you know, and, and, it, and it only focuses revenue. Because then all you get are big bidders. Yeah, and so like, you know, that's not a way to scale future 5G networks in my mind. No, you're right. And yeah. I, think, I think it also comes down to the way um, certain things are funded uh, in this government. Yeah. Um, but that's a different discussion. Um, yeah. But I think that the FCC is trying to get as much funding as they can, even yeah. though I believe most of this funding goes straight to the Treasury. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, in this administration, I, I think certain divisions of the government are being um, evaluated based on how much money they bring in. Yeah. Like a business. Given, given, given our POTUS. Yeah, that, that yeah. would not be, that would not be surprising for sure. So well, hey, let's shift to your your last topic of the week, and we're going to talk about T-Mobile. So, <laughs> yeah. So earlier this week, I think it was Monday, um, T-Mobile announced that they um, they were launching 2.5 gigahertz um, in 85 cities mm -hmm. and or 81 cities. But if you look at the list pretty closely, it's a lot of the cities that were old Sprint 2.5 gigahertz cities. Mm -hmm. So um, a good example would be LA, right? LA had, had I think LA had 2.5 gigahertz. I just oh, yeah. don't think they, 
I'm not sure they had it on 5G yet. Did they have 5G? I, I feel like they did. They they did, yeah. Because I remember there was a um, there was a you know it's it was the old TTIA show rebranded, you know, Mobile Pilots Americas. And I was on a rooftop with John Saul before the merger. Right. We were talking just about this in downtown Los Angeles. Oh so, yeah. So they they had LA. Um, they've got Atlanta, which we know was a, a T-Mobile or an AT. It was wow, a Sprint. Sprint. 5G city. Um, we've got uh, Mer- we've got Chicago, which we already knew. Yeah. Um, we've got Dallas is one of them. New York, obviously. Um, but they had a bunch of cities in New York State, but most of them are pretty small cities. Mm-hmm. So it seems like they're 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 still focusing on um, places that already had 2.5 gigahertz 5G, at least in this this release. Yeah. Um, but that still takes effort. Um, yeah. to switch from one network to the other. Um, I think the big ones would be Dallas and Houston. Um, and I think that um, Dallas and Houston are the two big ones that I think they're adding. Uh, and I would say that overall, it's, you know, it's just, just as a, a pointing to how T-Mobile is going to continue to be aggressive 2.5. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're probably going to have more customers covered by 2.5 than any of their other competitors have um, with any other band. So um, yeah. I think by the end of this year, we'll probably see this number of cities double or triple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not surprised that they they started in those those metro areas where you know Sprint had laid out the 2.5 already, right? So you've got to start somewhere and and build Agreed. and spoke out you know from that. So uh, yeah, well we'll we'll keep our we'll keep our eyes on not only T-Mobile but. Uh, Verizon, you know, with this this newly minted spectrum that they that they've uh, purchased, and and obviously you, you can't discount AT and T. They're uh, they're they're investing very very heavily. Yeah, and especially now that Verizon's trying to block T-Mobile from acquiring more 600 megahertz. Right. Um, it's it's a very interesting situation, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, but yeah, in general, I think it's good because we you know the 2.5 gigahertz is really why they bought Sprint. Um, right. Yeah. So. We'll, we'll see what happens. I think, but they also bought Sprint because they, they needed to balance their very consumer-centric go-to-market with, with business acumen, and Sprint but has definitely brought that. I, also, so. I would also argue that their 2.5 gigahertz, I mean, their business, Sprint's business would be useless with T-Mobile if they didn't have 2.5. I, I they wouldn't have the capacity. Right? I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> they both work together hand-in-hand. Well, hey, buddy, it's another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Sure. Uh, We hope that our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone would like to provide us with an insight on a topic that would like for us to cover on 5G in a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Willtown Tech and I'm at Anshel Sog. Thanks again. And we hope that you guys have a great weekend and tune again next week. Happy Labor Day.